Chapter 5 of Campfire Girls in the Allegheny Mountains. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Campfire Girls in the Allegheny Mountains by Stella M. Francis. Chapter 5 Girls Courageous. What's the matter, girls? You look as if you had the weight of the world on your shoulders. Miss Ladd spoke these words lightly as if to pass judgment on the conference as entirely too serious for a Christmas holiday occasion. Marion and Helen did not respond in tones of joviality, as might have been expected. They met her jocular reproach with expressions of such serious portent that the guardian of the fire could no longer look upon it as calling for words of levity. "'What's the matter, girls?' she repeated more seriously. "'You look worried. "'Sit down, Miss Ladd, and read these letters I received last night,' said Marion, without any change of tone or manner. "'They will explain the whole thing. "'We were just about to call you aside and lay our trouble before you.' "'Trouble?' Miss Ladd repeated deprecatingly. "'I hope it isn't as bad as that.' She drew an upholstered armchair close to the girls, and began at once to examine the letters that Marion handed to her. Marion and Helen watched her closely as she read, but the guardian of Flamingo Fire indicated her strength of character by a stern immobility of countenance until she had finished both letters. Then she looked at Marion steadily and said inquiringly, I suppose you have no idea who wrote these letters? Not the slightest, replied the girl addressed, unless the shorter one was written and mailed by some of the boy scouts at Spring Lake. Helen thinks it was, and I am inclined to believe with her that it doesn't make much difference to us who wrote it. The other letter is the one we are most interested in. I agree with you thoroughly, said Miss Ladd energetically and we have got to do something to prevent him from carrying out this threat. Ought we to inform the other girls now? asked Marion, with a sense of growing courage, for she felt that in the campfire's guardian she had found elements of wise counsel extending even beyond that young woman's experience. Why, yes, Miss Ladd replied. I see no reason for delay. I'd rather tell them now than just before or after we get to Holly Hill. If we tell them now, they'll have a couple of hours in which to stiffen their courage. There are eleven girls besides you two. Suppose you call them here in three lots in succession, four, four, and three, and we'll tell them quietly what has occurred and give them a little lecture as to how they should meet this crisis. All right said Marion, rising. I'll bring the first four, and you get your lecture ready. It's ready already, said the guardian reassuringly. It is so simple that I have no need of preparation. I'm afraid I need some drill in the best means and methods of reading character, Marion told herself as she walked back to the rear of the car. I was really afraid to take the matter up with Helen or Miss Ladd, for fear lest they recommend something foolish. Now it appears that each of them has a very clever head on her shoulders. 
Maybe I'll find the other girls possessed of just as good qualities. If I do, this day will have brought forth an important revelation to me that the average girl, after all, is a pretty level-headed sort of person. Well, he's hoping for the best. Marion selected the four girls farthest in front and asked them to approach the forward end of the car. They did so with some appearance of apprehension, for by this time all the girls had begun to suspect that something unusual was doing. This appeared to be evident also to the half-dozen other passengers in the car, whose curious attention naturally was directed toward the forward group of girls. All of the girls received the information relative to the anonymous letters so calmly that Marion felt just a little bit foolish because of her groundless misjudgment of them. After the last group had read the letters and discussed the situation with the trio of informants, she spoke thus to them. Girls, you are real heroines, or have in you the stuff that makes heroines, and that is about the same thing. You take this as calmly as if it were an ordinary everyday affair in the movies. I'm proud of you. We ought to be wearing Carnegie medals, oughtn't we, girls? said Julietta Hyde, blinking comically. We can throttle anything from a black hand agent to a ghost. No, you ought to be wearing honor pins, for things well done, Miss Ladd corrected. We'll leave the Carnegie medals for those who haven't any campfire scheme of honours. But really, girls, you have all conducted yourselves admirably in this affair. We will hope it won't result in anything very serious. But meanwhile, we must take proper precautions. Shall we have to give up our vacation at Holly Hill on account of this? asked Catherine Crane almost as dejectedly as if she were being sentenced to prison for violating a Connecticut blue law. "'That is up to you, girls, and the conditions that develop,' answered Miss Ladd. "'As soon as we get to Hollyhill, we will take the matter up with the proper authorities and try to determine what the outlook is. "'My father will get busy as soon as he hears about this,' said Marion. I think we can leave everything to his management. He will probably advise us to give up the idea of doing anything for the strikers' families and have as good a time as we can entertaining ourselves at home. Oh, I hope not, Catherine exclaimed, and the manner in which she spoke indicated how much she had set her heart on the work they had planned to do. It would be too bad to give it up, Marion said earnestly, for I understand some of those people are greatly in need of assistance. There is not only much hunger and privation among them, but considerable sickness among the children. We can't do a whole lot in two weeks, but we can do something, and our training as campfire girls and in our nursing classes fits us to be of much assistance to them. It is a shame that they should take an attitude so hostile to their own interests. They probably don't understand your father, or they wouldn't be striking now, said Miss Ladd. I'm sure they wouldn't, Marion testified vigorously. I've often heard father say 
He'd like to do more for the men and their families, but conditions tied his hands. Many of the miners are good fellows, but they get mistaken ideas in their heads, and it's impossible for anybody whom they once put under suspicion to convince them that they are in the wrong. Do you know, girls, interposed Violet Monday enthusiastically, I believe we are going to get a lot out of this vacation experience, whatever happens. I'm interested in what Marion tells us about the miners. Let's make a study of coal mining. Hold up everybody we can for information and watch our chance to help the poor families and their sick children whenever we can without doing anything foolhardy. That's a good idea, said Miss Ladd. We'll keep that in mind, and if Marion's father's advice is favourable, we'll take it up. The train arrived at Holly Hill shortly after 2 p.m. Mr. Stanlock's touring car and two taxicabs were waiting at the station to convey the girls to Marion's home. The run to the spacious, half-rustic Stanlock residence at the northeast edge of the city occupied about fifteen minutes and was without notable incident. The cars passed through a massive iron gateway, up a winding gravel-bedded drive, and stopped near a white-pillared pergola, connected with the large colonial house by a vine-covered walk running up to a porticoed side entrance. Mrs. Stanlock met them at the door, and the travellers were speedily accommodated with the usual journey-end attentions. Marion then inquired for her father, but Mr. Stanlock had gone to his office early in the day and would not return until dinner-time. So the girl hostess decided that she must let the problem uppermost in her mind rest unsettled a few hours longer. Evening came, but still Mr. Stanlock did not appear. Wondering at his delay, Mrs. Stanlock called up his office, but learned that he had left an hour and a half before, supposedly for home. How did he leave? Mrs. Stanlock inquired nervously. In his automobile was the answer. That being the case, he ought to have been home more than an hour ago. His office was in the city, and he could easily make the run in fifteen minutes. Thoroughly alarmed, Mrs. Stanlock called up the police, stated the circumstances, and asked that a search be made for her husband. Two hours more elapsed, and the whole neighbourhood was alarmed. The news spread rapidly, and was communicated by phone to most of Mr. Stanlock's friends and acquaintances throughout the city. The search was growing in scope and sensation. Treachery was suspected. A tragedy was feared. Then suddenly and calmly, Mr. Stanlock reappeared at home, driving the machine himself. He had a thrilling story to tell of his experiences. End of Chapter 5